Good morning, friends. Uh, part three of our series on the book of James. <clears throat> We're in James chapter 1, verses 9 to 11 today. I've chosen to call this, Show Me the Money. Well, let me ask you a personal question. How rich are you? Do you consider yourself wealthy? Well, a few of us would feel comfortable saying, yeah, I'm rich. If you're a Christian, you might say, well, I'm rich in the Lord, which is true, but that's not what I'm talking about. So just how rich are you? Well, I found a website that gives us an instant answer to that question. It compares your income with the average income of everyone else in the world and tells you where you stand. So let's plug in a few figures to see how this works. According to Forbes magazine, the median household income for, uh, I use Dallas-Fort Worth, is 58000 The global rich list says that figure puts the average Dallas family in the upper two-tenths of a percent in the world. Think about that for a moment. If you made $58,000 this year, lived in Dallas-Fort Worth, you'd make more than 99.8% of everyone on this planet. You may not feel rich, but compared to the rest of the world, you're doing fine. Well, let's try a few more. If you made $40,000, you are in the upper six-tenths of a percent. If you made $20,000, you are in the upper 4%. And if you made $10,000, you are in the upper 16%. Now, to most of us, $10,000 a year isn't much money. We probably think we couldn't survive on 10000 but 84% of the world's population makes less than that each year. A Gallup survey of world income reports <clears throat> that 22% of the world lives on a dollar and a quarter a day, and 34% of the world lives on $2 per day. Let those figures sink in for a moment. In America, there isn't much you can buy that costs less than $2, but that's a day's income for a third of this world. My conclusion to this is quite simple. I'm rich, and so are you. If you have a smartphone, you're rich. If you have indoor plumbing, you're rich. If you drive a car, you're rich. If you have credit cards, you're rich. If you have a job that pays you enough so you have a roof over your head, <clears throat> you're rich. Now, as I wrote this message, I have my laptop in front of me, my iPhone at my left side, an iPad on my right next to my old laptop, and I've got two cars in the garage. If you ask me, do you feel rich, I'd probably say, no, I'm, I'm okay. But when I stop and think about it for a bit, compared to the rest of the world, I am rich. And the same is probably true for nearly everyone who hears these words today. Let's face it, if you're trying to survive on $2 a day, you're probably not listening to this sermon on a, online. You've got bigger things like where your next meal is coming from. While preparing this message, I also ran across an article by Lynn Paramore. It was called Seven Weird Things Money Does to Your Brain. The article is based on neuroeconomics. It's how the brain makes decisions. And Paramore says a lot of stuff is going on in our brains when we think about money. And she cites seven examples. One is money kills empathy. People say if I only had $10 million, I'd give it all to charity. But they don't mean it. I mean, money actually makes you like, less likely to be generous. Two, losing money hurts, literally. We hate losing money more than we love making money. Three, more money equals fewer ethics. People who drive expensive cars are four times more likely to cut people off in traffic. Four, the more money you make, the more you think about money. Well, how much money is enough? Well, as one rich man once said, just one dollar more. Number five, men with a lot of testosterone do weird things with money. Men are so wired for competition that we'd rather see a rival lose than to win ourselves. Six, the brain treats credit different than cash. 
all the marketers understand this. This is how we, they know we spend 12 to 18% more with a credit card than if we were paying cash. And seven, the wealthy are perceived as evildoers. The poor enjoy watching the wealthy suffer because the tendency to envy lies deep within all of us. Now, friends, as we hear that, let's remember that we're wealthy. We may not feel rich, but by the standards of this world, we are. We're not immune to any one of those seven weird things money does to people. Now, it's against that backdrop that we need to hear what God says about money in James chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And as we ponder these verses, I want you to remember that most of the early Christians were poor. As the gospel spread across the Roman Empire, it first impacted the lower strata of society, which is exactly what Jesus predicted in Matthew 11:5 when he said one mark of the kingdom was, the poor have good news preached to them. The coming of Jesus the Messiah brings about a great reversal of fortune in society. The proud are brought low, the humble are lifted up, and the poor hear the good news of Jesus. And since most of his readers were poor, James starts with them. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. You know, that verse is so startling, we might actually miss the message. But here are a few other translations. Brothers and sisters who are poor should find satisfaction in their high status. Or believers who are poor should be glad that God considers them so important. Or believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. Or in the Living Bible, it says, a Christian who doesn't amount to much in this world should be glad, for he is great in the Lord's sight. We need to think carefully about this. Now, James is not saying if you're flat broke, rejoice that you've just lost your job or can't pay your mortgage and your kids are starving. Obviously, it's better if you have a job and can take care of your family. But if you are a Christian, you have grounds for rejoicing, even in the worst poverty. You have a reason to boast, even when the world despises you. The world says you're a bum, but God says, no, you're my precious child. You see, friends, God doesn't keep score the way we do. We're impressed by people with money. We like the bling, the flash, the trinkets, the toys, the fast cars, the big house, the vacation homes, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And if we didn't love this stuff, I'll tell you, Hollywood would disappear. If we didn't secretly dream of getting rich, casinos would disappear and lotteries would go bust, which, by the way, wouldn't be a bad idea. Even in the Christian world, we tend to magnify people with money. I mean, when a rich man comes to church, we often make sure he gets the best parking or the best seat. And James is going to deal with this problem in chapter 2. When someone rich or famous comes to Christ, we trot them out as a new trophy of grace, as if to say, guess what, we have celebrities too. But God isn't impressed with any of that. The rich man and the poor man stand on the same ground before the Lord. Your net worth, or lack thereof, has no impact on your standing in heaven. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. See, we serve a God who speaks and the universe springs to life. He speaks and the stars twinkle in the night sky. He speaks and eagles fly and rabbits hop. He speaks and the dolphin play. He speaks and the mighty Rocky Mountains rise up in the west. Now, do you think he's impressed that you drive a certain car like a Beamer or a Mercedes or a Rolls? Do you think he's impressed that you live in a gated community? Do you think that he's impressed that you partied with some famous person? Or do you think he's impressed that you have some other famous person's phone number? But the reverse is also true. God doesn't hold it against you that you are a single mom barely making ends meet. He's not embarrassed that you don't own a smartphone. He, he won't kick you out because you live on the street. James says the poor should rejoice in this, that they know the Lord, that their sins are forgiven, that they have new life in Christ. 
that God is their father, that Jesus is their Lord, that the Holy Spirit leads them, that they are kings and priests before the Lord. My friends, we need to learn this truth and learn it well. There are no second-class members of God's family. If you've got money, a place to live, a decent job, and enjoy many comforts, give thanks, but don't brag about it. Likewise, if at this moment you're barely making it out of a job, or if your family's a mess, or if your health is bad, if you feel forgotten and alone, if you wonder how you'll make it, remember that your present condition does not determine your final destination. And let me say that again. Your present condition does not determine your final destination. God has said that all his children will one day be with him in heaven. Some of us have an easier road through this life, that's for sure. Others, a much harder time. But we all get there the same by the grace and mercy of God. So let those who are poor rejoice in their current condition is not their final destination. It's the things that matter most. The poorest Christian is richer than the richest man in the world. In James chapter 1, he says, The rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. His flower falls and his beauty perishes. So also will be the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now James has more to say to the rich than to the poor. I think that's because money can be a major complicating factor in life. Let's be honest, we all love money. We need money. We want money. And sad to say, sometimes we'll do almost anything to get it. But money by itself is morally neutral. But you know, if I were standing in front of you right now and I held up a fistful of dollars, I could mesmerize you for a while. And I've done that several times in church. I reach into my pocket, take all of my cash, which these days isn't much because we live kind of in a cashless society. But even if I only held up two $20 bills in front of a congregation, a funny thing happens when I hold them up. Every eye in the room fixates on those bills. I can talk all I want, but if I want the people to look at me, I have to put my money away. But you know, those bills are just paper and ink. By themselves, $20 bills are not good or evil. It's what you do with them that matters. But we fight and steal and kill and lie to get our hands on quick cash. We'll do almost anything for a chance to get rich. That's the awesome power of money. And James says, what's the point? You can't keep it anyway. You're going to die someday and someone else will get your money. And that's kind of a downer. I mean, you work so hard for a nest egg that will protect you. You buy a nicer house, you get a second car, and maybe even a third, and you have all the outward signs of financial success. But one day you feel a pain in your chest and then visitation Friday night from 5 to 8, funeral service at 10 on the morning, followed by a graveside service, followed by a reception in the fellowship hall. And people walk by and say, he looks so natural. He just had a checkup. He kept himself in good shape. Plus, he had all that money. Now, let's pause over that last statement. He had all that money. The past tense is correct because he doesn't have it now. Someone else has it. Maybe it's his kids. Maybe it's his wife or husband or his business partners. Maybe creditors or or maybe even enemies. Maybe the hospital bills wiped him out. In any case, his fortune died with him. There's an old story repeated in every generation. No one stays rich forever because no one lives forever. Perhaps you've even seen that bumper sticker that says, He who dies with the most toys wins. You know, that's one of the stupidest lines ever because you're still dead in the end. And guess what? Someone else has all those toys. That's James' whole point. The rich man fades away and his riches vanish with him. And if you doubt that, go to any cemetery in the country, in the world, 
walk among the tombstones, read the inscriptions, study the epitaphs, ponder the fate of those who are buried there. Are any rich people buried in the cemeteries? Yes. Are any poor people buried there? Yes. Now answer this question. What do the rich dead and the poor dead have in common? Answer, they're both dead. That question needs to be rephrased. There's no such thing as rich dead or poor dead. The dead exist as one complete category. The temporal distinctions we make don't matter. A millionaire is just as dead as a pauper. That's what James wants us to remember. But in what sense should the rich boast about these facts? Well, I think the answer goes like this. It's not wrong for a Christian to be rich. And I want you to understand that. In this world, some people will always have more money and some will always have less. The mere fact of wealth isn't wrong and it's certainly not a sin to be wealthy. It's what you do with your money that matters. I mean, over the centuries, wealthy Christians have built hospitals and orphanages and clinics in remote regions of the world. They sponsored missionaries, they founded schools, built colleges, endowed scholarships, and funded vast kingdom enterprises. And you know what? I thank God for wealthy Christians who have that generous spirit. I mean, where would we be without them? I mean, we certainly need the folks who give $100 a month, and we also need the folks who could sit down and write a check for $5 million. Both are serving the Lord in their own way. So should the rich Christian boast in their wealth? No, because God gave it to them. Should they boast in their giving? Well, as a rule, giving is best kept private, except when our good example could possibly motivate others to give generously. Should they boast in their houses and lands? No, because that someday is going to be gone away too. Remember the words of Jeremiah chapter 9, it's verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me. You see, in the end, the rich and the poor stand in exactly the same place. They're both 100% dependent on the grace and mercy of God. And it may not seem that way at first glance. Now, certainly, the rich man in Beverly Hills appears to be better off than the person who lives in the slums of Mumbai. But appearances are deceiving. If the poor man knows the Lord and the rich man doesn't, both now and eternity, the poor man is much better off. <clears throat> money can do many good things if you use it rightly. But here's one thing money can't do. It can't buy you a place in heaven. Perhaps you've heard the story of the rich man who on his deathbed negotiated with God for permission to bring his earthly treasures with him to heaven. Because of the man's unusual faithfulness, God granted his request with the stipulation that he could only bring one suitcase with him. When the time arrived, the man presented himself at the pearly gates with a heavy suitcase stuffed with bars of gold. St. Peter said, sorry, you know the rules, you can't take it with you. But the man protested, God said I could bring one suitcase with me. And after checking it out, Peter found out that the exception had indeed been granted. Just before he let the man enter, St. Peter said, okay, but I have to examine um, the contents first. When he saw the gold bars inside the suitcase, he turned and looked at the man and asked quizzically, You brought pavement? Well, the things we value so highly will be like pavement on the streets of gold in heaven. No, you can't take your money with you. I mean, your ATM will not work at the bank of heaven. The only thing that matters is using what God has given you for kingdom purposes, investing in eternity, so that one day the Lord may say to you, Well done, good and faithful servant.
when God wanted to show his son into this, send his son into this world, he picked the most unlikely girl he could find to be the mother. He picked a forgotten province in the Roman Empire. He arranged for his son to become a part of the hated Jewish race. Then he found the most unlikely hometown and he arranged for his son to be born in a stable and take his first nap in a feeding trough. Jesus was born that way in order to show us how God does business. He doesn't do business with the proud. He doesn't run with the rulers of this world. He doesn't side with the rich. God is at home with the humble, the tired, the weak, and the lowly of this world. He does business with those who fear his name. We often say God helps those who help themselves. But you know, friends, that's not in the Bible. It would be more accurate to say God helps those who can't help themselves and aren't ashamed to admit it. The message is clear. Don't despair because of your poverty, and don't be proud because of your wealth. If you humble yourself and come to Jesus, he'll save you just as you are, whether rich or poor. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Nothing else matters. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.